The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. Hey, I was, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he pinned me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. It touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose. And he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt, and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, what? When you mentioned a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status, it's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name, that happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people have the perception that I really was that character. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Welcome in here to the two-man power trip of wrestling. You're listening to a very special edition of the two-man power trip of wrestling podcast. As we try to expand the podcasting empire, we're going to try a couple new different things here on the platform. And this interview you're going to hear today is going to be kind of the catalyst for that. We're going to try this out almost like a pilot and see how it works as we welcome in a great sponsor of the show and a great partnership we have. It's going to be Chris D. Petrillo, the man behind all of the great stuff that we've seen with the action figure line that we've been talking about for the last couple of months here on both Two Man Power Trip and the Triple Threat Podcast. But Chris D. Petrillo is going to tell us all about Figures Toy Company, and we're going to talk wrestling action figures and kind of the history and some really cool things in the works that they've got in terms of some of the people they're working with and things that you can expect. But with this interview, you're going to see, like it says in the title, something completely different. We're going to uh, bring this show to you in a different presentation than we do our other ones. We're going to maybe bring some of the archival audio back so you can hear episodes that maybe you never heard before or snippets from shows, maybe compilations of shows, as well as uh, some interviews that we might not feature on the flagship show, our Friday show of Two Man Power Trip, where we feature very rare and very exclusive interviews. 
shows, this is going to be something completely different. So please stay tuned. Let's hear some feedback. If you like it, reach out to us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal, as well as please subscribe to all of the shows here on the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling's podcasting empire. And stay tuned as we expand and we do things our way and we make it bigger and better than it ever has been before. So please enjoy and let's get rolling right here into something completely different on the two-man power trip of wrestling's feature show now for some tmpt business like us on facebook follow us on twitter at two-man power trip and at wrestling pal please subscribe to us on youtube also subscribe to us on itunes please leave us a review we'd love to hear your feedback also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rose, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. So let's roll into it right now. And joining us on the line tonight is a man with quite the distinctive background. He's the chief marketing officer of our good friends of Figure Toy Company. This guy, he's into everything. He's into wrestling. He's into pop culture. He's into Saved by the Bell, which is awesome. But he's also a huge Kiss fan, which is another cool thing. And I'm just so happy to have him on the show tonight. He's becoming a good friend of ours. Chris D. Petrillo, welcome in here to the two-man power trip. Hey, thanks for having me. It's nice to catch up with you guys after all the cool stuff we've been uh, putting out there the last couple of weeks. We have been working on a lot of cool stuff. Obviously, if you've been listening to the Triple Threat Podcast, you heard our amazing giveaway of the first franchise Shane Douglas figure in about 20-plus years here uh, that Figures Toy Company went out and made, and we're going to hear all about Chris's journey and how this all came to fruition, but we gave away a franchise figure a few weeks back, and uh, the response was amazing. And actually, today, as we're recording this in real time, on Twitter, the winner of the uh, the franchise figure, he did receive it. He posted it today. It was great to have uh, Bobby Hawkins, I believe his name was, win the, the figure and show it off. It's so cool to see. But, Chris, you're doing God's work in terms of wrestling figures world and seeing all these cool guys you're bringing out there. Is it as fun for you as it is for the fans? Uh, it's literally a dream job. You know, I got hired by Figures Toy Company a year after I graduated high school. I actually got hired on a handshake agreement on my 19th birthday. So not only have uh, I been able to evolve these wrestling figures through Figures Toy Company, but I mean, I've had a complete evolution starting there as a kid and landing here as the chief marketing officer talking to you tonight about all these figures that I've got coming out. It's unbelievable. And when you see some of the guys, whether it's the Rising Stars line or the Legends of Professional Wrestling line, you can see the intricate details of the figures, but you can also see the depth of the rosters, and that comes off with being somebody who follows the wrestling business and, and is really uh, somebody who really cares about what he's putting out there. And when I see somebody like Shane, who doesn't always get a lot of love, and I love him to death, and, and the fans that listen to our show love him to death, 
But inside the business, a lot of people talk bad about him. I don't know why. A lot of fans crap on him. I don't know why. I think there's a perception out there created by other people. But what you're doing is, is you're bringing the opportunity to have these guys immortalized. And that's one of the cool things that I see whenever I'm doing shows with Shane or whenever we're surfing the web and you see these figures pop up. When you finally see the finished product, is that the wow moment uh, for the whole process? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I'm hands-on. For those who don't know, I oversee the development of the wrestling lines, the Rising Stars, and the Legends. So I'm the guy that's trying to recruit the roster. I'm the guy that's making the contacts and making the sales pitches for us to uh, sign certain guys on. So I'll see the initial sculpt. I'll see the concept artwork. I'll see the packaging. And even, you know, getting a prototype, it's that, you know, wow, like there it is. Like finally I get to see it moment. But that finished product, when they come in, when they come off the truck, when you crack open a case and get that new figure scent coming right up your nostrils, that's the moment. That's like, you know, this is a real thing now. Because, you know, we had some figures that we had gone as far as the prototype process with that just never came to fruition. So, you know, actually seeing that finished product, holding it in your hand and seeing a guy that you've grown up with watching him on TV or someone that you follow through the PWI magazines or a WWE magazine. It's just really cool to have so many of these guys coming out in the legends line and the guys that are making a buzz, uh, in their own right on, you know, the modern scene, uh, guys like Joey Ryan, Sammy Callahan, those types of guys to be able to be a part of giving them their first ever action figure when normally all they've got is something like a t-shirt through pro wrestling tees. It's just really cool to be able to be doing this on both fronts for the veterans and the newer talent. And it's one thing to look at it online and see the picture, but to actually be able to hold one and see what it looks like in the package. I mean, the package in itself is something to just kind of stare at because the figure is like you, like we say in our pitch, it's perfectly in scale with other wrestling figures from other companies. But you look at it and you go, wow, like, geez, to see somebody like a Joey Ryan or a Sammy Callahan who haven't had that chance on the big stage yet to get that figure. It, to see them having that finished product, it is very cool. And there's all shapes and sizes of fans out there who will take that in and say, I need the Sammy Callahan uh, figure or I need the Joey Ryan figure. And in the past couple of weeks, we've seen the response that you guys have gotten from the Jeff Cobb figure. Now, Jeff Cobb, also another guy on the way up. Uh, we've had him on the show in the past. He's a really articulate guy. He's a very, uh, he, he's a very I would say, charismatic guy when it comes to how he talks. Mm -hmm. But he hasn't had that opportunity yet to get on that main stage. Not saying he won't, but to have this, you know, in his early, the early stage of his career, that's a huge accomplishment that for you and I growing up, and I know John too, if he was sitting here with us, we grew up on the LJNs. We grew up on the, yep. the WCW Galoob figures. And then moving into the Hasbros where there was a little bit more posability, a little bit more playability. These were big hunks of plastic or rubber that had, they, they do look very cool. They're very unique, but... They had no distinctive look to it. And when you can take a guy who hasn't been on a main television show yet and put them in the figure form, unbelievable. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And it's great that you mentioned Jeff. Jeff is one of the most genuine people I've been able to meet. I mean, working with everybody has been really cool. And it's really flattering to get reactions from guys that you've grown up with or guys that you're following now. But I mean, I can say with no BS, Jeff Cobb had some of the most genuine emotional reaction, just even when I asked him to be a part of it. He was like, I might cry right now. He's like, I never expected this. This is completely awesome. Thank you so much. And he's become, you know, dare I say, like a friend in the business. He's someone who's actually not only shown a genuine reaction for his own figure, but he's gone as far as going to bat for me and recruiting other people and being like, look, this guy's awesome. He's got credibility with me. He's 
talk to him, like get your figure done. Like, trust me, you're not going to regret it. So just the fact that he's kind of taken me under his wing in that regard, you know, he's a guy that I can't thank enough for putting me over so much. And it's the same way in the podcasting world. When you get that kind of connection, it, it does carry a lot of weight. And a guy like Jeff Cobb, who's, you know, working every single corner of the world right now doing his thing, you know, that's a huge endorsement. But, you know, you see guys that also had figures in other past lines and, and them kind of being reintroduced is pretty cool. When you look at a guy like a Shane or a Jim Cornette, who, if, uh, if any of these hardcore figure collectors are listening, if you remember the first Jim Cornette figure that hit the scene, it's not that impressive when you look back at it. At the time, it was like, all right, that's cool. That's Jim Cornette. And now looking back, it's a little, uh, as they say, maybe a little cheesy. But it just to see them re-immortalized in this form, it's it's just really cool. And, uh, you know, from a, somebody like myself who has collected for a long time, it's just, it's uh, it's really cool to see. But to look outside just the wrestling world, and I, I got to put Figures Toy Company over big time with the other lines that you have. I mean, I'm a huge monkey's mark. There, the monkeys are right there. I'm a huge DC superpowers mark. Nobody even remembers them. You guys got a whole line of them. It's unbelievable what kind of products you produce. It's uh, I can't say enough about it. It's uh, it's just it's it's so cool to see. No, it's just really cool to be doing all that stuff because you know you mentioned in the intro. You know, I am a huge pop culture fan. I'm a movie buff. I'm a TV buff. I'm still a comic book collector to this day. So to be involved with licensing through Warner Brothers, which gives us the access to the DC universe and the Hanna-Barbera animation, so doing Scooby-Doo, Johnny Quest, you know, cartoons that were on in reruns when we were kids, but they were still on all the time. They were still current to us or modern to us back then. Uh, doing Kiss, you know, I'm a huge Kiss fan, and doing all these different eras of Kiss, you know, diehard collectors or old-school Kiss fans might remember those original Mego dolls, but, I mean, we evolved that series. We did Dress to Kill. We did Dynasty. We just launched the Love Gun series, which is uh, an homage to the original series right down to the packaging. It's just really cool to be able to work with all these variety of licenses and kind of have, uh, you know, dipping our toes in the water of different areas of pop culture, not just limiting ourselves to wrestling. And I hate to say that uh, the cool things that you guys can do and you see a lot of other companies doing with the retro lines may have ended up hurting the overall <laughs> Toys R Us landscape because Toys R Us wasn't producing anything outside of retro stuff that people were looking for. So it's cool to see that you guys can bring out these lines, like partnering with the Warner Brothers and having the wrestlers. It's just, it's a very cool relationship. But to kind of look at your background and saying that you started with Figures Toy Company on a handshake deal on your 19th birthday, I mean, that's pretty uh, that's pretty impressive. I, I, I got to say, I got to tip my cap to you there, especially... Uh, thinking about what Figures Toy Company was back then. And in the early days of the internet, you know, you could get, I believe you guys had a website, but I remember you in the catalogs. I remember you in the toy catalogs. I remember you in the wrestling magazines. And whether it was the back two pages or there was one page in the front or there was a pullout, or it was something. I remember that being the only way that Figures Toy Company was found at that time. A phone number really is all you had to talk to somebody and order stuff. How did you find Figures Toy Company at that point? So back then, it was through the wrestling magazines. Uh, Figures Toy Company started as Figures Incorporated, Figures Inc., which is what a lot of people still know, know us as. And what happened was, you know, this is the days before eBay and auction sites and Craigslist and, you know, being able to find everything so, uh, you know, having the accessibility to everything so easily. And my friend ordered a Hasbro Yokozuna figure from the Green Card series, which collectors that are listening might remember that was the rarest set of Hasbros. It was the last set of Hasbros that they ever produced. And Figures Inc. had them because Hasbro is based in Rhode Island, where Figures Inc. originated, where I'm based out of still. So my friend called, placed the order, and he's like, hey, you know, I'm in this town. 
but you're in the next town over for your P.O. box. Is that where you're located? And the voice on the other end of the phone said, actually, we're in the town that you live in. We're probably like 10 minutes from you. We only have a warehouse, like an office in a warehouse. It's not a storefront, but you're more than welcome to come down, just ring the buzzer, and we'll pull the order for you. You can have a look around while you wait. And we went down, and it was very... It was kind of like swingers. It was very like speakeasy. You ring the buzzer and they look through the people and they let you in. And we're just kind of waiting around in the showroom. And me being the pop culture geek that I am and the huge wrestling fan that I am, I mean, I go back to being three, four years old watching world class and syndication. So there was a pile of VHS tapes on a table, mostly like old WCW events and stuff. But I just kind of nudged my buddy. I'm like, oh, dude, check it out. They've got Beach Blast 92. Remember Steamboat Fort Root and the Iron Man match? And just having what I think is a general conversation with my buddy. And guy sitting at his desk turns around and kind of gives me like the side eye. And he's like, how do you know that? He's like, you didn't even like touch that tape. You're not looking at the back of it. Like you just recited the card off the back of your head. And uh, he pulls me aside and he's talking to me. He's like, listen, he's like, I'm the owner. And this was right when they were starting to get everything online. He said, you know, I just recently started getting into the wrestling stuff. We started doing replica belts last year. You sound like you know what you're talking about, but I only really hire people that are on the inside. You know, it's a family and friends type of environment here. But I feel like you've got something to offer. So give me your information. I want to kind of think about this and sit on this. And I gave him my information. And at the time, I was just working for my family. My family has like some bakeries and stuff like that. But uh, he gave me a call back two weeks later and said, can you come down tomorrow, which happened to be my 19th birthday. And he basically said, look, he goes, I might ask you to jump online and do some data entry. I might ask you to pull some orders. I might just ask you for some help in the wrestling stuff. But I want to hire you. Here's what I'm offering. If you're in school, you can work around your school schedule. I know you're probably taking college classes. And they hired me that day. I started two weeks later. Um, so just before the new year. So just before uh, the year 2000. And uh, I went through college working at Figures Inc. I worked 60 hours a week at Figures Inc. Whatever I wanted to do, they just wanted to make sure they maintained me. And I worked during the days of having the ECW replica belt license. So Shane might remember that, or you guys might remember that. Uh, I worked when we had WCW. I uh, got to go backstage at a Nitro, which was within the first six months of me working there. So that was kind of like my first big instance of like, wow, like this really is a dream job. Uh, a year later, we had the WWF license. I got to work at WrestleMania X7 and launch the belts to access. And uh, as time went on, more and more responsibility. Uh, I was at one point in charge of the action figure inventory when we were ordering the WWE stock through Jax. I created some of our exclusives uh, with Jax. So the first ever Mickey James figure that came out, it came in like a pink collector's box. Collectors might remember that. Uh, I created that with Jax, you know, giving them the idea to give that to us. And just it's just been an evolution as time went on, more responsibilities, more input. My boss has always trusted my judgment uh, over time. His family became like family. I'm very tight with them. Just spent Fourth of July with them here. So, yeah, it's just been a, a wild ride coming in, you know, as this 19 year old kid who drove his friend to pick up a Yokozuna figure to talking to you here tonight. That's unbelievable. And as, as somebody who's collected and bought and sold and done a million things around the, uh, the the figure industry. That is like, wow, you're right. That is very surreal. That's quite the journey. And to think to go back to all the way that Yokozuna figure, which if there's uh, figure collectors listening, that's a holy grail to some people. To think it all started with one of the rarer figures, that's another cool thing too. But, you know, did you think at that point this was going to be your career? Or were you just happy to have a job that you would consider the, quote, dream job at such a young age? I mean, at that point, I just thought it was really cool because I was the guy with the cool job. I was, you know, the envy of all my friends, especially because all my friends at that point were into wrestling because it was the attitude error and everything. Um, but I mean, just the way they took care of me, the way they kind of 
you know, left me to my own devices and let me get involved with things. Uh, the original Legends line, if you guys remember that, with like the Nikolai and the Bruno oh, yeah. and the figures like well. that. So I like another one of my first big things was I got to pitch names for that and work with my boss on creating that line. So I suggested doing Ricky Steamboat because he's a favorite of mine. Uh, I suggested Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert because I'm very into old school wrestling. So Memphis, Global, USWA, all that type of stuff. I wanted to do the guys that hadn't been made before back then. And with some of those guys like Nikolai, Bruno, you know, those predated the Jack's classic figures. So people might be listening saying, well, those guys got done two or three times. Our Legends line started in 1998 with King Kong Bundy. So at that point, you had only had the LJN Bundy. You didn't even get him in Hasbro when he came back in 95 because that was towards the tail end of the line. So even back then, the idea was, hey, you know, the six-inch figures are the thing now. Let's get these guys who aren't being made in that vein. And that's what's carried over to doing a guy like Jerry Lynn or Shane who hasn't been made since the ECW line or that, you know, uh, rare WCW figure of Shane or going after a guy like, Joey Ryan or the New Japan guys like Rocky Romero and Tama Tonga and getting these guys that have big buzz but aren't being marketed in an action figure form. Right, and that original classic, uh, well, the Legends of Professional Wrestling line that you guys did, it was uh, it was different because you had variants. You had the bloody version or you had the regular version. And you had guys that, okay, there was a Tito Santana, but whereas we got Blue Trunks, you know, Strike Force Tito Santana, your Tito Santana was almost like uh, early 80s Tito, where he was a little more raw, you know, it was a little uh, more old school at that mm -hmm. point. But also Abdullah, you know, and, and guys that we hadn't seen getting figures, it almost kind of mirrors what we're seeing today. And like you said, yeah, you can add these colorful characters like the Tamatanga, which, you know, no spoilers here, but it could be uh, on its way to a uh, giveaway near you very soon. To see the detail to that, it's just, it's awe-striking. And it's, it, to see what he puts into his makeup, put into a figure, you know, and you're saying you got to pay attention to the details. I'm sure that there's been uh, trial runs or a prototype that you see that doesn't look that perfect, but it looks perfect now. And those figures from the late 90s, they have definitely evolved from back then. You know, there's, there's def de definitely a different mold or a different look to them compared to what you guys are putting out back then. Oh, for sure. I mean, everything that we do now is very similar to that Jax classic superstars, Jax ruthless aggression uh, style figure. And a lot of people, you know, I, I call them the Mattel Mafia because, you know, being a collector myself and you, I'm sure, can attest to this. There's always going to be that small group that's, you know, small but vocal. Well, they're not making them like Mattel. They should make them like Mattel. They should take the molds from Mattel. But I don't want to copycat Mattel. I don't want to piggyback on Mattel. The Jax superstars, the ruthless aggression in the classics, to this day, has a more extensive roster than what Mattel has. You know, Jax actually managed to do Bruiser Brody and Abdullah and Ivan Putsky and guys that, you know, we had done or had considered doing way back then. You know, Mattel isn't going to touch half of those guys at this point. Mattel's more concerned with doing Roman Reigns and John Cena and Dean Ambrose and the guys that you consistently see at Target and Walmart. So to do them in the Jax style, you know, I know people are saying, oh, well, I sold off my Jax figures or I only collect Mattel now. But if you've got that whole classic lineup or if you've got guys like Taz or if you've got guys like uh, Sean Waltman who would match up with a Shane Douglas or a Jerry Lynn figure, you're not going to ever see Jerry and Shane in Mattel. You're going to see them through Figures Toy Company. So why not have them um, complement the guys that were previously released in the same style instead of going after 
uh, you know, the brand that's more focused on the Ambrose and the Cena and the guys that they don't fall in line with. If we ever see a Shane Mattel figure, hell would have officially frozen over. So uh, <laughs> I kind of hope. I mean, I, I, I would I would personally be all for a Dean Douglas. That's just the fan in me speaking out. But uh, <laughs> we will probably never see that to the light of day. So I will stick with my franchise. Oh, uh, we'll talk off air because uh, I have uh, I have an interesting wrinkle for you. But we'll talk we'll talk off the air <laughs> about that. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's really cool. And somebody like myself, who you know, it's been such a huge part of my you know life collecting things whether it was coliseum videos you know huge coliseum video fan and one of our first shows we i tracked down one of the directors from coliseum video we had him on and it was like it, it, it was like christmas and being able to talk about tapes that we never saw and being able to learn about you know things that went on behind the scenes and how much input coliseum video had versus what they wwf wanted to put out and you can kind of move that over into the toy world. So how deep do you go with like the history of the, the wrestling toy connection? I mean, LJN to me, it's still the best. It's still by far the most iconic, uh, whether you're chasing down the last series with the Hakus and the Warlords and the Warriors, or you're just a, uh, you know, you're a completist and you want that Sergeant Slaughter. It, it still to me has the greatest appeal. But where do you kind of fall in the, uh, the overall landscape of the wrestling figure history? Uh, the first two wrestling figures I ever got were the LJN Big John Stud and Hulk Hogan. So I, I was right there with LJN and I went through everything. I mean, I went through pretty much all of Hasbro and what I didn't find from Hasbro as a child, I found working at figures toy company. Uh, <laughs> what some people might not know, and, and this falls in line with the Yokozuna connection, the Yokozuna figure connection, Hasbro being a Rhode Island company, figures Inc being here in Rhode Island, the way figures Inc originated was my boss would go to, um, you know, think of like storage wars now going to like a storage unit and buying it out. My boss would go to warehouse sales or, you know, fire sales, uh, clearance aisles at Toys R Us or Child World or anything like that. And he would get all the figures that they were pushing out and stock up on them because six months from now, oh, I missed that guy. Oh, I need him to complete my set. Well, Figures Inc. would have it because the stores wouldn't. And there, like I said, there was no eBay or any online merchants to get that stuff from. And as Hasbro was getting pushed out the WWF Hasbro should I say was getting pushed out he was getting a lot of that stock so when I say figures Inc at one point had pretty much every single Hasbro figure including the green card series and I'm talking about like storage bins full of these figures mint on card the American card the foreign card I mean there was an entire Hasbro aisle in the warehouse so I went through all of the Hasbros just collecting them on my own finishing the set when I got older uh, you know, grabbing the Jax figures as they came in, the Jax bone crunching figures right before I started at Figures Inc. They came out in 96, 97. I was collecting those. I collected the ECW, the Toy Biz WCW. So I've touched upon pretty much every line. Might not have completed every line, but I mean, I at least had my favorites. Uh, I mean, I had everybody in the ECW set just because it was ECW and that was my big thing uh, growing up back then <laughs> as I got older. Um, and, you know, to this day, I still maintain a big collection, not only for myself, but my son, who is only three years old, is uh, literally like a little clone of me. And I never thought I would spend so much money on Mattel action figures <laughs> than I have for this little guy. But, uh, I mean, he's got a collection of probably about 100 WWE guys. And I'm not talking about asking for five different Roman Reigns figures. This is a child who will sit and watch the WWE Network or pull up videos on YouTube. And he could tell you who people are in Impact versus who they were in WWE. It's pretty hysterical. 
that's hey, well, that's called raising them right. You know, that's the way you do it. You know, my uh, I don't know how my daughter was doing it. I was just cleaning up before we started here. And I don't know if you remember the, uh, the LJN, I believe it was LJN, maybe it was licensed to somebody, but it was basically, it was the Wrestling Superstars board game. Do you remember this at all? Yes, I do. Okay. They had the little stand-up figures that went on a little, little plastic stand. They were cardboard. You put them on the stand, right? You remember that? Yep. Okay. Somehow, I don't know where it came from, but there was a Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff cardboard LJN Wrestling Superstars little game piece mixed in with the toys, and you're sitting there, you're like, wow, man, the old stuff really has staying power, you know? How did it end up <laughs> hanging out this this long? But that's really cool, man. You got to say, when wrestling can touch somebody as small as three years old, it's really awesome. And obviously, WWE's product these days, people want to say it's geared more towards a younger audience. Well, you know what? That's where we were one day, t- you know, at, at some point. We were all young. We were all kind of getting into it. You were saying you're watching World Class uh, at three, four years old, you know, I was in the same boat, you know, you'd hear wrestling was on in on a random afternoon, you'd be like, really? Where? Let me see it. And that's yep. how we d- we discovered it. And now when you look at world classes, you know, in our 30s, you're like, Jesus Christ, this is like one of the greatest things ever. This could be on Monday night right now. It's so like translatable to the modern day wrestling product. But so your son's into wrestling at three. So is he a Roman Reigns fan? Would we classify him as one of the few Roman Reigns fans that are out there? Uh, actually he's not, and it's not due to any fatherly influence, um, <laughs> but he just randomly bursts out. Like he'll tell you who he likes. Um, his two favorites right now are Nakamura and Braun Strowman. Uh, as far as WWE guys go, those are his two favorites. But, uh, with Roman Reigns, um, he will say, I don't like Roman Reigns and I'll say, why not? And he goes, he stinks like Ginger stinks and Randy Orton stinks. <laughs> and so that's like his trifecta of guys that he doesn't like. It's not that he won't watch them or anything like that. Um, but he's like a little smart fan. He's hysterical with the way he latches onto things because, uh, like you said, just finding wrestling that's on or whatever. He wanted to watch wrestling one day. And I think I was just cooking him breakfast or something. So I had Impact DDR and I just threw on Impact. And now he's all about Phoenix and Pentagon. I'm like, you're three. <laughs> How did... <laughs> How did this happen? And, uh, you know, I'll usually ask him, hey, do you want to watch something, buddy? And he's like, I want to watch old wrestling on the network. And I'll say, okay, well, what's old wrestling? And he'll say, "Um, can you find a Raw that has Kurt Angle and Brian Pillman? I'm like, well, there's not one with the two of them, but I can find one or the other. So (laughs) let me just go back in time. But it it is hysterical what he latches onto. And he is really, like, just kind of absorbing it all. Um, you know, when I was saying how he knows, like, who people are, we had a friend come over the other night, and he's sitting playing with his guys, and the friend's like, who's this guy? Like, tell me who this guy is. And he goes, oh, that's CM Punk, and that's this guy. And she's like, oh, she's like, I don't know who any of these guys are. And he runs over to the TV, and he goes, that's Mr. Kennedy in that match. But Mr. Kennedy goes to Impact, and when he's in Impact, he's Mr. Anderson, and he fights <laughs> Jeff Hardy, who's a bad guy. And like this is someone who doesn't watch wrestling at all, so this means nothing to them. But I'm sitting there like, how do you remember that Ken Kennedy jumped ship and that Jeff Hardy was a heel? How do you remember that? Oh, that's great. So it is, it is just, it's very humorous to see it. It's very heartwarming to see it because that's how I was and and that's how I am to this day like you know my mind when it comes to pop culture is very on with pop culture so you know if he grows up to be you know two three years from now and fall out of wrestling hey that's his choice I'll never force it on him but to enjoy it with him now 
it, it is just hysterical in his you know formative years to see him following along so much with it and enjoying watching it. See, I have two little girls, so I mean, I guess I can have that in a different way. You know, my older daughter has a couple of the uh, the Mattel. Uh, Women's Evolution dolls. I don't know what the exact title is of them, but oh she, yeah, the Barbie doll. Type yeah, thing, so. yeah. She's got a couple of them, and she doesn't watch it at all. But she just knows that they're very colorful. The hair stands out. You know, she kind of blends them in. For some reason, she really uh, latched on to the Becky Lynch figure. I don't know where doll or whatever it is. I, I don't know why. That's uh, that's what it is. But you know, I know John uh, on our side. He does that with his his son. His son's three years old, and he's starting to kind of get into that same realm where he's introducing him to some things. And you know, he's telling me that uh, Hulk Hogan is uh, starting to pop on the radar of the little guy. Which I mean, come on, we all had to start at the Hulkster. You know, why not? Uh, <laughs> why not go anywhere else? But when you think back to being a young fan yourself, and you think about that era—the Hogans, the Pipers, the Savage, the Warriors. Who were you again? Who was your favorite? Who was your guy looking back at that point? Because you said you're a big Pillman fan. You know, you said you're you're a big Shane fan, Ricky Steamboat. But who was your guy from that early stage of your fandom? So it's funny because you said we all started with Hogan, and I mean, as far as the era, we pretty much all started with Hogan. But my favorite guy, WWF wise, was Roddy Piper. I was always drawn to Piper. I don't know if it was because he was so loud and boisterous, just kind of commanded attention. But watching WWF broadcast, I was always drawn. To Piper, uh, I loved Ricky Steamboat. I loved that match with Savage, much like everybody did. Um, watching World Class, I was really drawn to the Von Erichs. I remember being a kid watching the Chris Adams, Gino Hernandez tag team and the blinding angle, and just being kind of like, "Wow, like he blinded a guy!" Like you know, I barely <laughs> knew what being blinded was at that point. Um, but yeah, th- those were the guys. Like when I was really younger, obviously when the Warrior came out, he was like a superhero come to life. So I was really into him. Um, but I was always a fan of like the younger high impact type of guys. So when the rockers came about, when Brian Pillman came about, you know, uh, when he was just flying Brian teaming with Tom Zank, uh, you know, when Shane was in WCW in in his early years there, uh, I was following all these guys because to me, those were the cool guys. Like it was kind of like the same type of character you'd see in a movie, like, you know, the young hero coming to save the day, like doing the cool moves, the backflips and the drop kicks and the off the top rope moves because all I had seen prior to that were guys like Don Morocco, Greg Valentine, you know, great workers, but it was something different, kind of like how the cruiserweights transcended things for the audience, you know, late years later. So that was who I kind of drifted to. But um, like you mentioned, I mean, my favorite of all time is Brian Pillman um, to the extent where I had a dog named Pillman when I was younger. (laughs) Um, just, you know, I, I was always mesmerized by him in the ring, uh, as his character evolved, mesmerized by that. I mean, the loose cannon is, you know, not overrated in the slightest in my eyes. I think that was just a fascinating time frame for his character, but, uh, yeah, uh, him, Steve Austin, especially as the Hollywood blondes, uh, Shane, you know, like I said, Shane, when he was younger and then going him going to ECW uh, and even Pillman making some appearances in ECW as I hit my teen years, like ECW was really like the right place, right time for me, because now I'm a teenager. Now I'm kind of counterculture. Now I'm into, you know, the different kinds of music and the different type of, you know, style and stuff like that. So I followed ECW very strongly. So all those guys you mentioned, and then you've got the tried and true babyface Ricky Steamboat. You know, those were all guys uh, that I was a fan of and all guys that are also in my son's toy box. You know, he's got <laughs> all their action figures. So it's pretty cool. And he know he knows who daddy's favorites are. So that's kind of funny too, because he'll be playing with them and he'll run over to get me a guy and he'll usually always grab me like a, a Pillman 
or his steamboat and be like, here's your favorite. You got to fight me now. <laughs> so it's just, uh, it, it's really cool to still be as into it after all these years too. You know, I started watching when I was four, I'll be 38 in December of this year and I've just never faded away from it. It must be hard to have Braun Strowman uh, squash Ricky Steamboat or Brian Pillman on a nightly basis. So I give you, uh, I give you credit for that. You got to, uh, got to help the young guys get over. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think at this point they're willing to put over some young talent. <laughs> That's great, but you know, I'll tell you what. It's uh, it, you, you mentioned a lot of stuff in there that I could definitely relate to. And the ECW thing, we talk about it with Shane all the time. And having just done a whole episode about. Brian Pillman and his arrival in ECW. Well, as John would say, his re-debut in ECW because he had a, a very brief stint a few years earlier. But in the early part of 1996, when he made that surprise appearance and, uh, you know, threatened to uh, urinate in the middle of the ECW arena, which, you know, sidebar, had he done that in the ECW arena in 1996, I don't know if anybody really would have turned their head to it because it was uh, <laughs> kind of commonplace. But... The uh, the supposed Shane versus Brian Pillman angle that was going to happen was uh, that could have been pretty big because Shane was coming off the the Dean Douglas run and and having to reestablish himself in ECW and Pillman was so extreme you know no pun intended that it would have been probably one of their benchmark feuds of that year but obviously you know Pillman gets hurt and Pillman for some way shape or form is able to parlay that into the WWF contract. And you got a guy who was literally in all three of the major companies in the United States at one point within basically, you know, eight months. And that's uh, that's really cool when you look back at the career of Brian Pillman. Yeah, I mean, that CyberSlam 96 promo was one of my favorite things just ever. I mean, I think that, you know, not only his debut, but the way everybody handled it and even those like slight little touches like the he's shooting, he's shooting like off mic and stuff like that. Like, you know, looking at it back then, you know, if you show it to a fan who wasn't as into it. I don't know if it would resonate as well with them. Um, unless you really know the history of Pillman and the history of what he was trying to accomplish. But if you were a fan back then and you haven't seen that in a while, or even if you've seen it recently and remember it well, it's just a, a fantastic, fantastic promo. And I think it holds up to this day. I probably have a bias because it involved two people that I'm a fan of, but I mean, just tremendous stuff. I mean, all those inside references he was doing in ECW, um, you know, even the stuff that he was doing in WCW, you know, uh, chasing Bobby Heenan around and causing him to almost walk off the set of a clash of the champions or <laughs> the crazy ideas of trying to chain himself to the goalpost or in the Super Bowl. It's just, it, it really is just fascinating, you know, a, a fascinating look into the mind of a madman with all these things that he was throwing out there for the sake of creating this persona that people really bought into. And you think about what could have happened had he not had that car wreck. And you fast forward two years later, and also had he not passed away at such a young age, you think about where he would have fallen in that Attitude Era and where they may have been able to go with some of the things that they were doing at the point where he passed away with gold dust. And at that point in the WWF in 1997, that was pretty, uh, that was pretty you know, extreme. I'll steal it again. It was pretty crazy to see the, uh, the content that they were putting out there. Uh, but also kind of funny to see, you know, just a few years earlier that he's flying Brian with the Cincinnati Bengal trunks and the long curly hair. And, you know, he's the perennial baby face that's doing stuff that you're not seeing. He's facing Jushin Thunder Liger. And it's like, wow, this guy's definitely got something here to see him move into the loose cannon. Completely mind blowing at that point in 96. Yeah, I mean, that was just some great stuff. I mean, and, you know, 96, I mean, 96 was just a fantastic year for wrestling in general. So much great stuff happened, so much memorable stuff. But, I mean, one of my favorite time periods of Brian was kind of like 
the pre loose cannon, like, cause you know, the beginning of 96 was when it kind of really rolled in, you know, steam rolled into everything. But, uh, from fall brawl 95, when he had that match with Mark Mero, I think is, uh, or Johnny B. Bad, should I say is vastly underrated or overlooked. I don't think enough people give that match credit. I think that was a great match at fall brawl 95. And then the turn on Ric Flair later in the night, that whole angle with the horseman and sting, and then the whole, you know, getting into it with the Dungeon of Doom and having Arne Anderson slap him around and snap him out of it and try to straighten him out. I just think that that was some really, really great character development. And just seeing that formation of what was to come, it's just really cool to look back on some of that stuff and see where it wound up going. Yeah. And you kind of see on the flip side of it, some of the stuff that WCW was doing pre-NWO. And you just scratch your head that on the same show that he's doing this innovative and like mind-blowing stuff that... You know, we're seeing the Yeti and we're seeing, you know, uh, the shark and we're seeing uh, the, all these goofy things that WCW was trying to do to kind of cater to that WWF audience with all the WWF guys coming in. I mean, no offense to guys like one of my favorite guys of all time is Brutus Beefcake. But I mean, that angle with the Butcher and Hulk Hogan and that he was uh, <laughs> he's a spy in the Dungeon of Doom. And then he turn he turns on Hogan. He, then he turns back. I mean, it's like. The, the loose cannon stuff that was going on at the time, it's like, it's polar opposites, but, you know, that's why wrestling is, the, you know, for everybody. There's always something that you'll be able to grasp onto. Yeah, absolutely. Like when they tried to bring in Sabu and tried to cater to the ECW fan base and just really didn't know how to utilize him. I mean, he could have had some great matches at that point with so many guys on that roster, and he had already worked with guys like Malenko and whatnot in ECW, but, you know, you're throwing him in a two-minute match with Alex Wright, and it's just it's not going to be the Sabu that people are used to. Yeah, no, without a doubt. And it's very short-lived <laughs> tenure in WCW for Sabu. If you uh, if you blinked, you missed it. But when you saw it, you were like, Jesus, God, man, all these guys are coming to you. Yeah, Jericho, Malenko, Benoit, and then Sabu. But obviously, he'd be back uh, not soon after leaving. But let's kind of get into a little bit more of the figure base here. So we've got over 30 different characters to choose from in the wrestling figure lines, both the Rising Stars and the Legends of Professional Wrestling now. I, I know you've made some friends. I know that you've uh, you don't want to make any enemies, but if you had to pick one that I don't want to say cliche your favorite, but if you had to pick one that you feel is maybe head and shoulders above some of the others, which would be the one that you would point fans in the direction of? Uh, all right, that's a loaded question because there's so. I mean, our team does such great work uh, on these figures. Uh, you know, mentioning the Jeff Cobb figure. I mean, that's a figure that came out. Perfect. I mean, the likeness, the jacket, the singlet, that figure is absolutely, absolutely awesome. That's one of our most recent releases. Uh, you mentioned the Tomatonga one. Now, there are two versions. There's the one with the war paint on, the face paint on, and the one without it, um, since he'll go you know, either way sometimes over in New Japan. Um, but the uh, intricacy in the face paint and the tribal designs and the tights and stuff, I mean... You know, it, it's tough to pick a favorite because I don't want it to sound like I'm playing favorites either with the talent or even knocking the work that our team does because they knock it out of the park you know, with every single figure. Um, but I mean, Jeff Cobb, Chris Hero, Rocky Romero, Tomatonga, just off the top of my head, uh, some of my very, very favorite ones that we've done, you know, between the likeness and the expression on the face and the clothing. I think that those are some of the biggest, uh, the biggest standouts in the line. Now flip over, that's, uh, those are those rising stars. So flip over to the legend side because we were talking about before we got rolling here, you know, you got guys like Mikey Whipwreck, you got guys like Jerry Lynn, you got guys like the Blue Meanie, you got Juventud Guerrera, Jim Cornette, obviously Shane, and on the way Francine getting her first figure. So give me one of the legends that when you saw for the first time and said, wow, man, this is like, uh, this is exceptional, the kind of product we're putting out. 
I mean, I felt that way about the Shane figures because I'm biased. So, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, I, I, I you know, I don't want to sound like the whole show is going to be, you know, uh, uh, being biased towards him. So, I mean, I'll, I'll go the non-Shane route. But I mean, a figure that I never thought we'd be able to pull off, and just the way it came out, and the fact that we were able to get it together because of what we've got going on at FTC is that Kiss Demon figure. Oh, that that Kiss Demon figure looks amazing. I mean, if you think of two audiences that are drawn to collectibles, wrestling fans and Kiss fans. You know, the, the Kiss Army is always clamoring for new Kiss merchandise. Wrestling fans are always on the lookout for new figures. The fact that we have the Kiss license looking uh, to do the Kiss Demon in the Legends line and being able to pull that off, but I mean, just the, the face paint and the cape and the course and all that type of stuff. I mean, that is a figure that I never in my wildest dreams thought we'd ever even see and here I am, the guy being able to do it, and just the way it turned out, I think that that figure looks awesome. I, I think that that is just a, a real home run figure, uh, both at looking at it as a Kiss collectible and as a wrestling collectible. That's, wow, yeah, that's a great point, because that's something to get immortalized. And I don't think as a wrestling fan, and, and nothing, I'm not going to rip Dale Torborg at all. I think what he did was fantastic with that character, but I, I'm going to guess that he was almost kind of in stunned disbelief, am I right, about the figure coming to life? Because... It's a, it's a character that's gotten shit on. I, I hate to say it by the, the, the length of time uh, that's passed since it happened, but at the time it was huge that WCW was doing something with Kiss. So what was his reaction when you pitched this to him or when you got him on board with the, uh, the actual figure? I mean, he's, he is a great guy. I mean, right through the whole process, he's become a real true friend of the company. Um, he's very friendly with my boss, very friendly with all of us there. So he was on board 100%. You know, he was very easy to deal with. He's a very pleasant guy. He signed some for us. Um, so there are autographed editions, a limited run of those available on our website. Uh, fans might not know, but he's the strength and conditioning coach for the Chicago White Sox. So Dale's not one of these guys that just faded out of wrestling and he never heard from him again. He's working in Major League Baseball, which is a, a great jump for him. And the figure was even advertised on White Sox broadcasts. So, I mean, <laughs> th that's just that's just a great push for something that some people, like you said, like the Kiss Demon was so short-lived, so most people would never think, oh, they're going to make a Kiss Demon figure. I'm going to get this Dale Torborg Demon figure. And not only here it is, but here it is on a national baseball broadcast. And that's just really cool of him to be able to get that level of advertising, that level of notoriety for us, and also for himself. Because, you know, he probably never thought that he'd be able to do something like that. And just being able to work with everybody at Kiss under that license to allow for it to happen, you know, the figure is fully endorsed. People might wonder how we were able to pull it off. Uh, you know, we talked about the Kiss Retro figures before. So they signed off on it. Dale signed off on it. And we made a pretty cool figure out of it. And his dad, Jeff Torborg, was a former manager of the Chicago White Sox. Also a former manager of my uh, beloved New York Mets. But we're not going to go into that tonight because we'd be here for the rest of this evening. And I don't want to uh, <laughs> waste any of your time at all with uh, my, my druthers on the 1992-1993 uh, Mets. So uh, we'll leave that as it is, but yeah, now that's an absolutely amazing choice. Now, how about one completely underrated, not that it doesn't get the love from the fans, but one that you're like, all right, this is, this is something that I think we need to kind of uh, get a little more exposure for, uh, somebody that might fall under the radar under the grand scheme of the lines. Let's see, someone that might fall under the radar. <sighs> hmm, let's see, I'm trying to think. I mean... If you're looking at the Legends line, I think the Mikey Whipwreck figure turned out great. I mean, 
you know, if you look at that figure, that is Mikey in his dragon t-shirt walking down to the ring in 1995. You know, that, that is a great figure that a lot of, again, a lot of people might not realize, Oh wow. Like Mikey Whipwreck, like, didn't he have one in ECW? Mikey never got one in ECW because when that line came out, that's when he was in WCW. And by the time he went back, I think that's when the ECW toy line was pretty much ending at that right. point. Yep. Um, so, uh, yeah, Mikey, the, the blue meanie too. I mean, the, the design on that blue meanie figure, I mean, talk about a guy who was made to be an action figure. Um, you know, those guys, uh, that really, you know, uh, what's the way, best way I can put it. It's like, it's like, it's like a time capsule to them, you know, because it's capturing them, you know, at, at their peak moments, at their best moments at an era that everybody remembers fondly. And, you know, that's the way we want to do it. You know, we want these guys to be remembered, uh, you know, when you're immortalizing them in plastic, as we had mentioned before, you want these guys to be immortalized in that way. And Mikey's a guy that I think that, you know, he's, he's the underdog, you know, he's, he's fighting from the bottom to the top. And when you think of, you know, a guy like Blue Meanie, who's a character or a guy like Shane, who's been everywhere or something that's endorsed by a brand like Kiss with the Kiss Demon, you know, Mikey might not be the first guy that pops in your mind, but I think our team knocks it out of the park with him, uh, with the clothing, with the outfit. Uh, there's actually two different versions, not facially or outfit wise, uh, just a change in the knee pads, just like a running change. But he's a guy that I think that if you've got a collection of 90s wrestlers or ECW wrestlers, you got to have that Mikey figure. Oh, you absolutely do. But let's not sell short the fact that you guys have AJ Styles, Luke Gallows uh, at the time, Doc Gallows, Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks. I mean, you have the hottest guys in the business, and especially even those Bullet Club guys that went on to WWE. You guys were ahead of it and got these figures out there, and it's really cool to see. But I got one bone to pick with you. Before we uh, we get into the wrap up here, before we get into plugs, and I am I'm not ripping this guy at all. He's in our intro of the two man power trip, so I'm not going to say it. What the hell is Homicide doing in Rising Stars of Professional Wrestling? I think we could <laughs> kind of slide Homicide over maybe into the Legends category. He he, I love him to death. He was a great guest, but Rising Stars, come on, man. See no, see, and, and you're you're not the first one who says that. So I've, I have heard that one before. So don't feel bad. Um, <laughs> you know, the, j- just like with uh, you know, and I and I know you didn't mean that in a negative sense, but you know, you'll get the uh, you know, you get the Twitter mob or someone like that being like, oh, you know, well, the Kiss Demon. I wouldn't call him a legend. Well, you know, I don't know if people would consider King Mabel a classic superstar, but he was in that <laughs> set. I think you know, people take these names uh, of the brands too literally. So Rising Stars is really just the the indie slash unaffiliated you know, uh, toy line. So because homicide at the time was, you know, really just kind of working per diem for TNA and per diem for ROH and stuff like that, it was to throw them in there because, you know, I think again, cause I like homicide. I'm a fan of homicide dating back, you know, 12 years, 13 years from now. But I feel like if you're the older collector who doesn't follow the rising stars type of talent and you see a guy like homicide and the legends, it might be a little confusion in the marketplace. Like, who was this guy? Did I miss him somewhere? Like, wh- where was he? So it's just kind of like, you know, the audience that you're uh, aiming for with the Rising Stars line, that's where Homicide tends to fit in more, just as far as my preference, I would say. And now, have we not mentioned New Jack because we're dying to get chopped up or we're dying to get uh, attacked <laughs> after this interview is over? Is there is there a reason we didn't mention New Jack no. at all? <laughs> no, I mean, I see, and you know, and I'm, I see, I was just trying to condense it because I could go on and on about every figure we've made. I mean, if you, if you look back at the early run, I mean, Blue Meanie, Jim Cornette, New Jack, Just Incredible, PJ Polacco there. I mean, that was a great launch. That was a great set. I mean, you know, three ECW mainstays, one of the most legendary managers, legendary personalities. Uh, you know, Meanie is, you know, was the the quote unquote gimmick figure there. Um, you know, just the guy that screams 
I need an action figure. Uh, New Jack, it was his first one since the ECW line. Credible had one during like the Titantron era of uh, of WWF, but oh, he it's had terrible. one. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah, it was the R- Rulers of the Ring was the set. I, I think. think so. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, and that was how we kind of took aim every. Um, you know, uh, Young Bucks. Uh, you know, we still have the Young Bucks in stock, uh, but Kenny Omega, AJ Styles. The only reason I didn't bring them up is just because their figures are retired now. Uh, oh. You know, the Omega figure sold out very quickly. Uh, AJ sold very fast, and you know we wouldn't be reprinting anymore because now he's in WWE. Um, so I just didn't mention them just for the fact that if someone's listening and jumps on FiguresToyCompany.com thinking they can get a Kenny Omega, I don't want to disappoint anybody. Um, but the Doc Gallows <laughs> is there and. People might turn around and say, you know, hey, uh, how can you still sell a Doc Gallows? And, you know, like you said, we had licensing through those guys before they went to WWE. But you're not going to get the Bullet Club era Doc Gallows with the war paint on, uh, the face paint on, like you get, uh, you know, the the club figures from WWE. It's completely different. You know, he's got the overcoat with ours. He's got the face paint. So there is uh, a, a differentiation to uh, Doc Gallows and the Luke Gallows figures that are out there. Ours is strictly the Bullet Club era figure. Um, but I just wanted to make sure that I gave play to the guys that were available. Some of the newer guys, uh, some of the best designed, obviously to Shane's figure, which we, you know, we talk about and you guys talk about on every show. Um, just, you know, trying to get the love for everybody there. You know, someone's going to hit me up and be like, you didn't mention my figure. Uh, so I just want to <laughs> try to get everybody out there. Um, and, and there's more on the way. And I'm sure you guys will be able to talk about that in the coming weeks. And I can attest to it now, but you know, you mentioned Francine and she's in the very early stages. We just announced, uh, Shane Strickland. From Evolve, MLW, he was Killshot in Lucha Underground. He's coming in the Rising Stars. Uh, Chase Owens is another Bullet Club guy from New Japan who is signed on. He just made that announcement on Monday. And I can tell you that there's about half a dozen other people that are already under FTC contract right now. And as long as my boss keeps that budget open for me, there will be several more coming uh, that I'll be working on in the near future. Awesome. Now, that's really cool. That's uh, that's great. And to Cole Cabana, Chuck Taylor, Trevor Lee... Bull James, Brian Myers, Kurt, uh, Cliff Compton, all these great guys that we didn't mention. There you go. We just mentioned them. So now you know, now you can be off the hook with a couple of them there. So, uh, <laughs> look, as we get to wrap it up here, you know, like you said, we, we talk about you every show. And, and this was something that I personally really wanted to go after for the two-man power trip empire, as I like to call it. I, I really wanted to get involved with Figures Toy Company because John and I have been collectors for a long time. And, you know, the relationship we've blossomed with Shane and seeing what it meant to Shane to get that figure out there. I just thought that this was a perfect marriage for the two audiences. And to see this kind of blossom and see the great fan response that we've had so far, I say uh, job well done in the early stages. So we will continue to push you guys and we appreciate you being on board with us but in case they haven't heard me talk about it for the last couple of weeks please share with the listeners of the two-man power trip and the triple threat podcast where they can find all the information on figures toy company as well as please share any of the plugs that you got going on in the world of the the grace i'm going to just say you're doing god's work in terms of wrestling figures chris d petrillo all right, so uh, the main website is uh, figurestoycompany.com. We also own and operate wrestlingsuperstore.com. So you can find the legends and the rising stars on the Figures Toy Company website. If you're a collector and you want to get some wrestling rings, some accessories, uh, there are still some DVDs, some replica belts, T-shirts, all that type of stuff. Uh, they're all over at wrestlingsuperstore.com. We are on all forms of social media, so if you look up the company names, Figures Toy Company and Wrestling Superstore on either Facebook or Instagram. You'll find us that way. 
If you want to follow us on Twitter, uh, it's at Figures Toy Co. and at W-R-E-S underscore Superstore. Uh, being the chief marketing officer means that I am on all forms of social media at all hours of the day and night. So I'm usually quick to respond, always pushing out the plugs, always retweeting and responding and trying to you know keep up with all the fans and the responses to all of our various products. Uh, if you want to follow me personally for plenty of FTC-related and pop culture goodness, uh, then you can follow me on Twitter at Zach Malibu, uh, Z-A-C-K-M-A-L-I-B-U, uh, which is a, a testament to a uh, years-old nickname that I have had since the glory days of Saved by the Bell being on TV. <laughs> Favorite Saved by the Bell episode? Uh, day of Detention. And that give me the plot, quickly. Uh, it's the one where Zach Morris wins the trip to Hawaii, but he's stuck in detention and somehow manages to get all his friends in detention, too, and can't get the tickets. <laughs> Classic. You got to love Saved by the Bell. Still to this day, if you pop it on, uh, it's got its moments. It definitely has its moments. And uh, we could sit here and uh, sing Friends Forever till the cows come home. And <laughs> my favorite episode was the one where they uh, they were the DJs on the radio station in the uh, in the school. And they did the flashback to Mr. Belding. <laughs> Oh yes, when they unearthed the radio station, they just happened to be in the basement. Yeah, school. yeah that that was my uh, that was my favorite episode. That's uh, oh man, that's so great. Listen, it's been so much fun to have you on. And obviously, uh, like I said, this is a blossoming relationship. So hopefully, we can get back on here uh, a little bit down the road. See what's going on. Some updates. Uh, some goodness going on in the figures toy company world. And man, we really appreciate you spending some time with us tonight. Hey, no, I appreciate everything that you guys have been doing. I appreciate all the uh, pushing and the plugs. Uh, I appreciate all the responses from Shane, you know, being able to make his action figure coming from being a kid that was watching him on TV and being a fan. It's, it's very humbling, and I'm very appreciative of all of it. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.